Alright, you can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 6. For you that have been here, you know that we've been coming through the book of Acts together. Today we, we land in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 verse 8. All the way through that chapter to chapter 7, verse 60, so to the end of chapter 7, is the section that we are in. And I said last week that we we're going to take this in two parts. Uh, part 1 was Stephen's message. And part 2 today in this section of Scripture is Stephen the man. So the message and the man. Let's read. Verse 8 through 15 of chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, will change the customs of Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now as we keep reading into Acts chapter 7, we see him standing up in the Sanhedrin in this council. And the high priest says, are these things so? And for 53 verses in chapter 7, we see Stephen give a scathing message to them about Christ and their state before God. Skip ahead to chapter 7. At the end of his message that he preaches in the Sanhedrin, skip ahead to chapter 7, verse 54. And we're going to read verse 54 through 60. What happened after he preached? Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So what I want to talk to you about in this section of scripture about Stephen is the man Stephen and specifically seven characteristics of this man Stephen. Seven characteristics of this man Stephen. Now, last week we talked about the overall purpose of this section of scripture and how this section of scripture, uh, chapter 6 verse 8, all the way to chapter 7 verse 60, and we talked about how uh, this is a pivotal moment in history. So when we read and we think about what's going on in Stephen's life right here at the end of Acts chapter 7, this is a pivotal moment. And his message that he preaches is a pivotal message in church history. Now here's a question. Why does God, and keep in, keep in mind, that all of history bends to the sovereign God's will? Why does God choose Stephen to be the one as, as the main speaker here at this pivotal point? In history, why Stephen? Shouldn't it be Peter? We've been hearing about Peter the whole time. Shouldn't it be one of the apostles? Why Stephen? Why? Why is he put forward right here in this this uh, uh, this crucial moment in history? Why is he put forward as the voice? Why his message? And ultimately, we don't have an answer for that except to say that God does as He pleases and uses whoever He wants to use. But I can tell you how this encourages me. When I think about Stephen being used at this time, thinking about Stephen being used right now at this crucial moment in history, it, it, it sort of brings it home to me, sort of brings it home to me. I realize that we should imitate the apostles in a sense, but at the same time, there's a distance between us and the unique role of the apostles. But when I think about Stephen being used right here, it's like it relates more to me in a sense. When I think about imitation, I can see myself imitating this man, Stephen. So I wanted to sort of bring it home to you in the same sense. Here's a man to imitate. So as we look at these seven characteristics of Stephen, I want you to be thinking about imitating, imitating this man of God. Hear this verse, Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me. That's Paul the Apostle. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example as you have in us. Paul the Apostle says, imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk in that way. And that certainly includes Stephen who walks before us as an example. So I want us to read this in a sense that we're thinking about imitating Stephen today. So as we get ready to do this, let's pray and ask God to help us to meditate on this portion of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, help us. Thank you so much for your Word. God, we love your Word. We love your Word. Thank you, Lord, for letting us read it just now, for this public reading of the Scriptures. Your word is food to us, God. Your word is direction for us. God, your word is a revelation of your majesty and glory and goodness. And so we want to we see it, God, from those, from those perspectives. Please help us, God, to look at your word right now. 
We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. We want to follow in the example of men who imitate you, Lord Jesus. So please help us this morning as we look at this man's life. Help us to be imitators of what we see here. God, make us doers of the word and not hearers only. God, make us doers. You said that when we just hear and we don't do it, God, then we, we deceive ourselves. God, don't let us be self-deceived. Please, God, protect us from being self-deceived this morning. And God, let us hear your word with a weight, a weight of majesty, God. This is, these are the words that you have spoken, breathed out by you. Help us, God, as we meditate on them now. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Seven characteristics of Stephen. Number one, a full man. Stephen was a full, a full man. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power. Think about that. Here's a man that doesn't just have grace and power, but he is filled to the full with grace and power. Back up to chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And Stephen was one of those men chosen, full, a full man, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Look at verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. Here he is, Stephen. A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 7, verse 55. In the last hour of his life, verse 55 says, But he, full of of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven, full of the Holy Spirit. So here's the list. If you took all of those things listed out that he's full of, here's the list. He is full of the Holy Spirit, then wisdom, faith, the Holy Spirit, grace, power, and the Holy Spirit. This is a full man, a filled man. The emphasis here is he is filled with the Holy Spirit, three times it's mentioned he's a man full of the Spirit. He's a man full of the Spirit. Now, each one of these, these words that are mentioned, they are possessed by Christians. All Christians have the Spirit of God, if you're truly a Christian. All Christians have wisdom from God in His Word, if you're a Christian. All Christians have a measure of power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. All Christians have a measure of faith. All Christians possess grace and the Spirit of God. All Christians have these things, but not all Christians experience them to the same degree in the same way. This man was full of God, full of these things, filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't empty, but he was full. He wasn't merely surviving, but he was thriving on God. That's the description we have of Stephen here. Now, I don't want you to overcomplicate this, okay? You say, what does it mean to be full? I'm highlighting this full of God. Don't overcomplicate it. Listen to me. You know what it means to be full of anger. If somebody said, man, that guy's filled with anger. You know what it means. 
He's controlled by his anger. He's got anger coming out of him. He's moved in his actions and in his mind and his heart by anger. You, you know what it means if we say he's full of hatred. Hatred is in his mind. He has hatred in his actions. He is filled with hatred. To be full of lust. You know what these things mean. So don't, don't overcomplicate it. So then, so then think about this. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. A mind filled with God. Full of God. Actions filled with God. It's all about God. Conversations filled with God. That's the idea. Filled with wisdom. He's got wisdom coming out of his ears. Because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Full of faith. He's ruled by trusting God. He's filled with feelings of confidence in this God. He's a full man. Full of grace and power. His life is marked by the supernatural working of God. He's a full man. He's a, he's a, he's a filled man. Now I think, I think there's a few things that uh, kind of rob us of being able to have this sort of life, or, or at least of thinking we can have this sort of life like, like Stephen, okay? And I want you to think about that for a minute. We're commanded in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's a command for us all, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 3.19, there's a prayer, and, and this is the phrase in the prayer, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. How about that prayer? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. But here's the thing that I think causes us oftentimes to have a, 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 it's a truth, but it's a wrong application of the truth. And it's the truth of the depravity of man. The depravity of man. Now, I believe, I believe in the doctrine of the depravity of man. But I think oftentimes what we do is we highlight the depravity of man. And it causes you to feel like you can't live this full life in Christ, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, because, because you believe in the depravity of man, the sinfulness of man, but you neglect it that as a believer, you are indwelled by the Spirit of God and Jesus becomes your great high priest interceding for you continually. And so an imbalance of truth makes us, I think, at times not think that this kind of life of Stephen is available to us. So as, as it, in, our, in our sinful nature, we exalt the depravity of man while ignoring the indwelling Holy Spirit and other things that God has done. So I want to say this. You can live like Stephen, this full man. You can live a full life like him. Not an empty life, but a full life filled with God. In fact, uh, Luke eleven thirteen, there's a prayer. And, and Jesus, Jesus says, this, he's, he's saying, look. If a son asks his father, if a son asks his dad for a piece of bread, he, he doesn't give him a snake, he doesn't give him a rock, right? He's just reasoning about that. And then he says, even so you if, you, if you ask God, if you go to your father, will he not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Will he not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, so this full life is offered up to all who are in Christ Jesus. Think about your life for a moment compared to this full man, Stephen. Are you living this full life? Are you going to God day in and day out to be filled with God, filled with wisdom in His Word, filled with faith in Christ? Are you going to Him daily and being filled with God? 
Second characteristic, Stephen. He's a man of power. Stephen was a man of power. Look at chapter 6, verse 8, the second part of that where we stopped. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, we've been highlighting throughout the book of Acts the, the uniqueness of the role of the apostles. Okay? We've been talking about that. The, the apostles' role in the book of Acts is a unique role. And there were signs and wonders in the book of Acts that are constantly connected to the apostles because those were the signs of an apostle. And we've been talking about the uniqueness of that role of the apostle. In other words, that role does not exist anymore. This was a, that was a role in the book of Acts, and it was affirmed by these signs and wonders. And what we've been highlighting is that we need to put a distance between ourselves and between the apostles. And therefore, put a distance between our, ourselves and the signs and the wonders of an apostle. But what Stephen's life reminds us of is what? Don't let that distance go too far, right? Here's a man, not an apostle, doing signs and wonders filled with power for the glory of God. Here's the reality. Our God is a God of infinite power. Jeremiah 32, 17. Our Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. And do you pray, oh God of infinite power, would you flex that mighty power in my life? To show the glory of your majesty, the glory of your power in my life. Do you pray for God to do that? Here was a man of power. Surely he prayed, oh God, use me to flex your might. To show your might. Could you pray something like Acts chapter 4? And I hope you say yes and I hope you will. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, I bet you prayed that before. I bet you prayed, God, let me speak your word with all boldness. But if you prayed the second part of that prayer, keep looking. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you ask God, oh God, make me not only a full man, but a man of power. You would flex your power in my life like you did, like you did in Stephen's life. Third characteristic. Stephen was a slandered man. He was a slandered man. Look at verse 9, 6 verse 9 again. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexanders and of those from Cilicia and Asia. Now, these synagogues, there were synagogues all throughout Jerusalem. It's like these little meeting places, like little you know, Jewish universities in a sense, where they would read the scriptures, teach them, and, 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 and pray. Those sort of things would go down in the synagogues. And you belong to a particular synagogue throughout Jerusalem. Well, at least one of these synagogues, if not, you might can interpret it here as several synagogues, rose up against Stephen to dispute with him. Look at verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So what did they do? And I want you to see this slandered man. This wasn't just a little disagreement. They rose up to dispute with Stephen. 
And when they could not beat him in the dispute, what do they do? Look at verse 11. I want you to see the slander here. Then they secretly instigated men who said, and they say these lies about him blaspheming Moses and God. They secretly instigated men. Look at verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They're stirring up other people with slander against this man. Look at verse 13. And they set up false witnesses who said, and it goes on to tell you what they said, false witnesses. This is, this is Stephen, the slandered, the slandered man. Now, there, these are the satanic sins of gossip, of character assassination, of, of, of twisting somebody's word. That's what we're seeing right here. We should be aware of that, right? That we're not people who, who gossip and twist people's words and character assassination. What happened here is a smear campaign against Stephen. Like we see all over the, the, our politics today, right? These smear campaigns, except it's against, it's against Stephen here. He's a slandered man. Now, we're talking about imitating Stephen. This is a little bit less appealing, right? Yeah, I want to be a full man. I want to be a man of power. But what about, what about a slandered man? A little less appealing as it relates to imitation. But here's the thing I want to say to you. You cannot separate one from the other. If you're going to be a full man, full of the Spirit of God, full of power, proclaiming His Word, if you're going to be that person, that, that characteristic of Stephen, you must have the other one where you will be a slandered man. You'll be a slandered woman. You'll be one that smear campaigns are raised against you. These things always go together. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, listen, promise here, will suffer persecution. In Matthew 5 and 11 and 12, Jesus said, look, when they, when they insult you and speak all kind of evil things against you for my namesake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. That's what they did to the prophets of old. 1 Peter 2, 12 says they're going to speak against you as evildoers. I remember, the, I remember the first time that the Spirit of God really lit that verse up to me, that they will speak against you. They will slander you as evildoers. First time I, that, that verse was lit up to me by God, I remember my version of martyrdom or my version of being persecuted was they're going to look at me and go, man, that guy, he's awesome. He's amazing. Let's kill him. And there's going to be this glory in being, in being persecuted or martyred. But the reality is, is they will speak against you as evildoers. Smear campaigns will be raised against those, those who desire to be like, uh, like Stephen here. Now every, you go throughout history, you can go throughout, throughout the Bible, you, you can look at David and the Psalms. You can look at uh, Paul and his writings. You can look throughout church history and every godly man or woman who sought to advance the kingdom of God were slandered. They were slandered men and women. Now, I want to warn us about some attitudes, some mindsets or attitudes that can make our lives incompatible with a Stephen-like life. Okay? If, if a Stephen-like life is going to most definitely involve slander, then what are some attitudes or mindsets that can kind of make us incompatible with that? Number one is the fear of man. The fear of man. The fear of man will kill 
a Stephen-like life. It's the attitude that says, I don't want people to be mad at me. I don't want people to be, I'm scared of people being displeased with me. And if you have the fear of man, you will retreat from a God-glorifying life like Stephen because, because it will offer you, it will offer you not the praise of men, but it will offer you the slander of men. Second, it's kind of like it, this mindset, is if you love the praise of men, do you love the praise of men? Oh, I just love people to like, I just want everybody to like me. I just want everybody to enjoy me. And this love, this idolatry to please men will kill. It will kill your, your ability to walk in a Stephen-like way. Because alongside the fullness of the Spirit of God and proclamation of the gospel comes a slander life. And so I think that gives us two options. We can either have a life like Stephen's, full of the Spirit, proclamation of the gospel, and yet have smear campaigns raised up against us. That's number one, that's option one. Or number two, you can live a cozy life where everyone likes you, but you must forfeit this Stephen-like, God-glorifying life. Let me say this real quick. First Peter chapter 4. What do you do? What do you do? When this slander is raised against you, what do you do? How ought you to respond or feel? Because, and I want to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14. Because I believe this is exactly what happened in Stephen's life. Listen to it in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange happened to you. Don't be surprised, he says. If this comes up in your life, don't be surprised. It's not something strange. I told you it would come. Verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So, so you face these insults, rejoice. You face this slander, rejoice, he says. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, and Stephen was, and so will you be. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Why are you blessed? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Isn't that a glorious verse? That when you're insulted, when you're slandered, thank you so much for that insult. Because when I was insulted just now, the spirit of God and of glory rested upon me in that moment. Are you willing to be a slandered man or a slandered woman? Fourth characteristic. Stephen was a tenacious teacher. He was a tenacious teacher. Now Stephen was certainly teaching. That's why they rose up to dispute with him. It says in verse 9 and 10. They're disputing with him because they're disputing with his teaching. We see in chapter 7 verse 1 through 53. As he rises up before the Sanhedrin. And he lays out teaching from Genesis until his present day. So he's teaching. He's definitely teaching here. And the picture is that he's teaching with some tenacity. Some grit. Some fight in his soul. He's teaching the word of God. He said, it shows us this picture of him being in the synagogues. And according to verse 7, uh, priests are being saved as he enters into these synagogues. Preaching this glorious gospel. Verse 10 tells us. 
that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he was speaking. They couldn't withstand him. He's preaching with some tenacity. The NES says, the NES says they could not cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was teaching. They couldn't cope with it. They couldn't handle this. He's a tenacious Teacher of the Word of God. We read what he, what he preached in chapter 7, verse 1 through 53. And he's looking at the Supreme Court of Israel. And he's calling out their sin with boldness. This man had some tenacity in his teaching. Now, does this quality of Stephen, this tenacious teaching, does it transfer to every Christian? Does it transfer to you? In other words, ought you to take on this example of being a tenacious teacher of the Word of God. Should everybody in the room as a Christian take on this quality, take on this, this characteristic? And I say, absolutely yes. And here's what I want you to understand. I understand that there's a sense in which not everybody's called to teach. I understand that. James 3 says, let not many of you be teachers. Teachers are put forward as a, as a, a one of, not all of them, but one of the gifts in the local church. So in the sense of the gift to teach, to lead local churches, public teaching in the Word of God. I'm not saying every Christian has that, but there's a sense, like Stephen, there's a sense, and we can be encouraged from Stephen's life, there's a sense in which every Christian ought to be a teacher and even a tenacious teacher of the Word of God. You say, where do you get that from? Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Now, who in the room is supposed to obey that command to make disciples? You can participate here. Who, who in the room? Everybody, right? Everybody's supposed to make disciples. But listen to the rest of the verse. Baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. Make disciples involves teaching. Everybody in the room in Christ, in a sense, is meant to be a teacher of the Word of God. Hebrews 5.12. He's rebuking a group of people because they, they haven't been growing in Christ. And in Hebrews 5.12, he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the elementary principles of the doctrines of Christ. So some time has gone by, and as you move forward in maturity, all, in a sense, ought to teach the Word of God as you make disciples. Now, so that's the standard that all are disciple-making teachers, but, but here's, here's the question. Are you spreading the teaching... Are you spreading the teaching with tenacity and zeal or are you spreading the teaching with slackness and indifference? And Stephen's doing it with tenacity. He's doing it with some zeal. What about you? Are you waiting on some golden opportunity to slap you in the face before you take the teaching of the word of God and put it in front of people? Or are you intentionally moving forward? With the teaching of the gospel, the teaching of the word of God to impact souls on this earth until you breathe your last breath and it's finished, it's done forever. Are you teaching with some tenacity? Now this, this fourth characteristic always flows out of that first characteristic. Remember in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, 30, 31 and following. In that chapter, they prayed, God, give us boldness to preach your word. In other words, God, make us tenacious teachers of your word. And what does God do? It says, God filled them with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word with all boldness. 
So flowing out of the first characteristic, full of the Spirit of God, comes this fourth characteristic always, that they are tenacious teachers of the Word of God. I want to encourage you with this. Luke chapter 12. And I want to encourage you with this because I, I, I want to encourage you to be a tenacious teacher like Stephen. And I believe in Luke 12, this verse, and another verse I'm going to show you in Luke 21. I believe this is actually lived out in the life of Stephen very, very clearly. Almost like a summary of his life. Or at least this episode of his life. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, just like Stephen, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Don't be anxious about that. Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Do you believe God's like that? That the Holy Spirit will help you. He will move in you and help you know what to say. Look at Luke 21. We saw that in Stephen's life, right? As the Spirit of God helped him as he was taken before the synagogues. Look at Luke 21. Verse 12. But before all this, they will lay, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, like Stephen, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be an opportunity to bear witness. I love that. Persecution is an opportunity. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how, how to answer. Listen to this. This is so sweet. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Doesn't that sound like Stephen? I'll be with your mouth. I'll give you a mouth. I'll give you wisdom that your enemies cannot contradict or withstand. God did that with him. Does that encourage your soul? Now, obviously, in the context, you should be encouraged that, that not to meditate, premeditate beforehand when you think about standing before persecution like Stephen. But just in general, I want you to be encouraged, just in a general sense, that our God is a God that says, I will be with your mouth. I'll be, I'll be your wisdom. Make disciples. Be a tenacious teacher of the Word of God. Yes, you should prepare to teach the Word and make a disciple. No doubt about that. But trust God. He's a God that will be with your mouth. Just like He was with Stephen. Fifth characteristic. He was a martyred man. Stephen was a martyred man. Now I want you to try to place yourself in this scene back in Acts 7. Try to place yourself in this scene and what's going on here. Look at verse 54. So they were kind of mad at him beforehand. And he spoke real gentle words to them and calmed them down, right? Wrong. Verse 54 says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. That's some mad people. Stephen says a few more things that they don't like. And then look at verse, look at verse 56. No, excuse me, verse 57. 
But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They don't like what he said, so they, they begin to scream and put their, their fingers in their ears and they're running right at him. And what are they going to do to this man? Try to put yourself there. Verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. They stoned this man. A torturous way to die. A torturous way to be executed. More than likely dug a, a big hole that would come out about to their waist. And men and women, or, or especially men, begin to take these rocks and pelt him with these rocks. Rocks that are just the right size, not to kill him on the first blow, so that he might get hit again and again and again and bleed externally and internally and eventually die an excruciating death. They stoned this man. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. These people would go and take their garments off so they can be freed up to pelt this man with rocks to punish him. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, so imagine that the rocks are hitting him. He's in pain. He's in agony. This is a long, torturous death. And he cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he hits his knees. Maybe he's covering himself up. We don't know. But he hits his knees. He says, God, don't charge them. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Can you imagine this scene? And then it says he dies. He, or as it says here, he falls asleep. He was a martyred man. He gave up the, the ultimate sacrifice like Jesus. He gave the ultimate sacrifice like Christ. He, he bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He fulfilled in his body what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Many people had preached in Jerusalem, had preached the gospel, but now those seeds of the gospel were watered with the blood of Stephen. And what sprang up was a plant that would eventually sprout out to all nations. He was a martyred man. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Acts 7 to Acts 8. You think about Acts 1 through 7. We've been in Jerusalem. The gospel spreading all throughout Jerusalem. But Christ has already said, this is going out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what is the, what's the pivot point to the gospel going out to the nations? This man's blood is spilled. His blood is spilled. He waters the gospel with his, with his own blood. Now this is how, I want you to think about this. This is how God has always advanced his gospel. God has always advanced his gospel and built his church through the suffering of his saints. Now let that sit in for a moment because that has, that has a lot of implications for us. God has always advanced his gospel through the suffering of the saints. Just like we see Stephen suffers and dies and the gospel springs out to the ends of the earth. That observation that God always advances his gospel through the suffering of the saints, that observation is where that famous quote comes from. That the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You heard that? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the, seed of the church. It came from a guy that was very early on, not, not too long after Christ died, that quote came from a guy that was writing to an emperor and, and, and telling him 
Listen, you keep killing Christians, you keep feeding them to the lions, you keep killing them again and again and again. But what you don't understand is as it happens, the gospel moves forward even faster because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I want you to think about this idea. I think this same kind of observation that God always advances his gospel through the suffering of the saints. I think this same idea was on Betty Stem's mind before she was martyred for her faith. Who is Betty Stem? Betty Stem was a missionary to China with her husband, John Stem. This is in the early 1900s. She was taken captive in the early 1900s by enemies of Christ in China. She was taken captive and, and, and after suffering for a time, they make them kneel down and she actually sees her, her husband beheaded right before her eyes. And just a few moments later, Betty Stam also is beheaded for her witness to Christ and her advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so why do I say that this idea of suffering, advancing the gospel through suffering, why am I saying that was on her mind? Because prior to her martyrdom, she writes in her journal something like this. Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not Baptized with blood, a stony plot that souls might blossom from that spot. Afraid of that? And so she faces martyrdom. She faces beheading to the glory of God, knowing that her suffering would be a part of advancing Christ Jesus' gospel throughout China and to the ends of the earth. And I want to encourage you, this is not just a book of Acts thing. This is not just an early 1900s idea. In fact, we could get example after example after example of the suffering of the saints being used by God to water the gospel when it goes out to the ends of the earth. We could find many, many examples of this. But I want you to think about how that applies to us. What are the implications of that for us? Grace Community Church, what do we want to do? We want to be people full of the Spirit, tenacious teachers of God's Word, Taking that gospel to the unreached places on the earth. We want that, right? And how does God advance it? Through suffering. All of us will suffer. And some of us will face the ultimate sacrifice like Stephen. Some of us will face the ultimate sacrifice like Stephen. Are you prepared for that? I know sometimes we think, are you ready to die for Christ? Sometimes people see that as just an, an over-spiritual question, but I'm serious. As I read this passage of Scripture, would you lay down your life for Him? Are you ready to give the ultimate sacrifice? And I realize you shouldn't say yes to that in a flippant way, right? Peter tried that, and three times he denied his Lord. But I want you to think about Paul's word in Acts 21, 13. He said he looks at his brothers and sisters in Christ as he's headed back to Jerusalem. He says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be in prison, but to die for the name of Jesus Christ. Let Stephen's story produce in us a willingness to die for him, a willingness to lay down our lives as martyrs for Christ, to see our brothers and sisters go to the ends of the earth for the same purpose and the same result. Derek Thomas wrote a commentary on this passage of scripture. And here, here was Derek Thomas's uh, uh, Presbyterian pastor. This was his application. 
He says, what, I ask myself, was I prepared to suffer for, to die for? I prayed nervously that the Holy Spirit would evoke within me such a love for Jesus Christ and the gospel that I would be prepared to die for them. We cannot approach this story about Stephen here with anything less than this desire. Are you prepared to pray such a prayer? Are you prepared to pray such a prayer? Six characteristics. Stephen was a man loved by Jesus. And that's a glorious thought, is it not? This man was loved by Christ. Look at chapter 7, verse 55. In his last hour, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And of course, they didn't like it that, that, that he said those things. So what does he see? He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God lets him see the invisible. He sees Christ. He's about to die. He's about to be stoned. And he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, now it's significant, I believe, that he's standing. Because over and over throughout the scripture, we see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. And right here it says he's standing. What's the purpose? Why is he standing? And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people and commentators and preachers that give different ideas for why he's standing. But they all terminate in this. Because that Christ loved that man who was dying right there. I love the way, uh, way R.C. Sproul said it. R.C. Sproul gave this picture of being in a courtroom. Because that's where Stephen is. And in the courtroom, the judge is seated. He's seated in that courtroom ready to make... His judgment, you got two men standing, the prosecutor and the defense attorney. The prosecutor and the defense. And you imagine, the prosecutor, the prosecutor brings in his accusations for this person that's, that's standing on trial. And when the prosecutor's done ma making these accusations, you look over and there's no defense attorney. There's no defense for this man. What do you do? And suddenly, the judge, in love for this one, stands up comes around his bench and becomes, the judge becomes the defense attorney. It's the love of Christ for this man. The love of Christ for Stephen. And think about this. Why does God even allow Stephen to see this? He got to see the invisible. You can't, Jesus is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God as we speak, but you can't see it, neither can I. But in this last moment of his life, God allowed him to see it. Why? Because he loves him. And in, in his most difficult moment, God, God in Christ drew near to him. Then when it got hard, he drew near to the one that was suffering, the one that he loved, his beloved. This is an act of love. For Stephen. Stephen's a man loved by Christ. I want you to think about this. If you're in Christ. Now how do we make application here? You need to know this. That if you're in Christ. That you are loved by him. And that's a beautiful thought. That you are loved by Christ. And then think about this. Not only loved by him. But do you believe that in your 
your hardest moment and your last breath, when you're approaching your last breath, maybe just out of, out of normal, natural uh, health situation, maybe out of martyrdom, whatever it is, when you're facing that last breath, do you think God in Christ will draw near to you in love like this? And I think he absolutely, I think he absolutely will. Psalm 23 verse 4 is a really popular verse. It says, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And your rod and your staff that comfort me. God will be with you in those moments. Isn't that love? Death seems like the, the greatest of enemies because it has that sting that comes with it and yet Christ tasted death for us all and He removed the stinger from death so He takes, he takes that enemy death and makes it a servant to you. Death bows down to you and transports you out of this world into the presence of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It used to be a formidable enemy to you. But now its stinger is taken away. And it's just your escort to Jesus. You think he'll draw near to you? In those moments, I want to read something. As I thought about this, I want to read something to you from this missionary biography. It's called Brusco. It's about this man that took the gospel to the Motolon Indians. And he takes the gospel to the Motolon Indians. It was so sweet to me to see God doing this with Stephen and God doing this with a, with a Motolon India close to Colombia. And this man takes the gospel. Nobody ever taken there. Everybody that had gone in this territory had been killed. He takes the gospel into this place, and the second person, the second motor to be saved in this place was a guy by the name of Ajibuk Bara. I'll say that once. And there was a sickness that was going all throughout this place, and this was the second man out of the motorhomes that was saved. And this sickness was, was going all throughout, this plague was going all throughout this place, and it says that that he found this man that he loved. He found him near death. Two days after I reached him, he slipped into a coma. His body was yellow and flies were crawling across his chest where his vomit had hardened. His face was covered with little blue dots from the rash. While I watched him, he blinked and woke up and I leaned over. His face was like a painted mask lined and creased with pain. Brusco, he said, my body hurts. I hurt everywhere. Shh. I said, you need to be quiet. We want you to be well. We want you to be strong. He shook his head, barely moving it. No, Brusco. I'm not well. I'm not strong. I've closed my eyes. His eyes did close and he slipped off. I stayed near him. Later, he opened his eyes again. Brusco, I heard a voice like the spirits that talk when they try to kill you. I nodded. But this voice called me by my secret name, my real name. You see, in this tribe, they have a real name that they pick when they're old enough that nobody in the world knows about. But this one that spoke like a spirit spoke my name. No one alive knows my real name. But this one called me by my real name. So I called him and said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus who has walked with you on this trail. Several other men gathered around him. 
So I told Jesus that I heard all over from my head to my toes. And Jesus said that he wants me to come home. His breath was coming with difficulty. Help me, brother, he whispered, looking at me. Help me. Then he turned his eyes away. But you can't, he said. You can't. I've been embraced by death. I'm leaving, Brusco. I'm leaving. I can't see. There's only pain. But God is here. And he wants to take me on the path that we can never find in our hunts. The path that goes beyond the horizon to his home. Then the man smiled. And his face looked for a moment like the one that I knew. And I love this. Not alone, he said. Not alone. I won't walk this path by myself. There's a friend who wants to take me. And he knows my name. My real name. Then his body sagged. And he clutched, his, he clutched my hand. And his fingers gradually went limp. And I set his hand down beside his body and walked out of the home. And so here's another of many examples of God. Christ Jesus, our Savior, drawing near to one that he loves in their deepest need. Last characteristic, number seven. Stephen was a Christ-like man. This might be the most all-encompassing, most important characteristic of all, that this man was like Jesus. He's like Jesus. Not only did Stephen preach like Jesus and stand before the Sanhedrin like Jesus and speak with boldness like Jesus and, and many other things that he did like Christ, he died the ultimate death, he gave the ultimate sacrifice like Jesus. Not only those things, but even his last words, even his last words, we're like, like Christ. Look at chapter 7, verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Remember Christ saying that? He's hanging on the cross for sinners like us that don't deserve it. He's dying in our place. And he, said, Lord, or he says, Father, receive my spirit. And what a glorious testimony to the the godness of Jesus that he says, Father, receive my spirit. And right here, Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. If you remember, Christ said a similar thing. Look at Luke chapter 23. Stephen was Christ-like. He was like his Savior. There's a lot of things we could highlight with that, but let me, let me draw your attention to Luke 23. Verse 32 says, two, other, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified. They, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, and one on his left. Now if you read the other accounts of the Gospels, both of these criminals, these thieves, they mocked Jesus. Both of them. Now we know there was one of them that repented while on that cross. We know that to be the case. I wonder what he saw. And here's at least one thing that he saw. Verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine that? They spit at him and beat him and mocked the king of glory 
the creator of the universe, and he's hanging, humiliated on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What impact do you think that had on that thief on the cross that had mocked him? And here we see Stephen. Lord, don't hold this against him. He's being stoned unjustly by these men. God, Lord, Lord, don't hold them to this, God. How must this have affected the people around him? Did it have an impact on Saul, who was there holding the garments of the others around him? Did it have an impact? Here's the main Christ-like thing I want us to think about. We must have a Christ-likeness that, that undergirds our bold preaching of God's Word. So what we see in Stephen is what? We see Stephen as a man who boldly, authoritatively preached the Word of God. And yet he did it with an Acts 760 Christ-like love that prayed that God would not hold this against them. I think we ought to be the same. Now, I want to take uh, some time just in closing here to, to pray. <clears throat> and I want us to pray through these characteristics. I want us to pray through each one of these characteristics and ask God that he would make us like Stephen because Stephen is like Christ. So please lean in and let's call out to God together, okay? Father, we want to come to you now and ask you for help that all these things that we see as an example to imitate in your word, that you would help us to imitate it, Lord. Lord Jesus, we want to be holy like you. Father, we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Lord, you've shown us this man as a man who was filled with you. A man filled with wisdom and faith and power and filled with your Holy Spirit. Please, God, do that with us. Please, Lord, do that with us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with the hope that, that, that you've made a way for us, God, not to just live a defeated life, but a, a life of victory in you by the power of your Spirit. Make us men and women, please, Lord, that, that, that don't just merely survive in our walk with you, God, but thrive in fullness and fill with your spirit. God, help us, please. You said, Lord, how much more would you give the spirit to those who ask? And God, we're asking. We're asking, Lord, that you would do that. God, I pray that you would make us men and women of power. You are the infinite God. Nothing is impossible for you, Lord. Nothing is too hard for you. You created the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm, Lord. That's who you are. Please, God, flex your power in our lives. Do, do things, God, that can only be explained. By that's your hand. That's you at work, Lord. Do that in our church, God, and do that in us as individuals, please. God, prepare our hearts to be slandered. Prepare our hearts, God, to, to be spoken of as evil. To be misrepresented and gossiped, gossiped about God. And I pray that you would rid us of the fear of men. 
Rid us of this idolatry of loving the praise of men. Free us from it, God, that we might, that we might hit this slander head on. God, please protect us. Don't let us be men and women who retreat when people speak ill of us, Lord. God, I pray that you would make us tenacious teachers of your word. God, we want to make disciples. You commanded us to make disciples. You called us to do it, Lord. Fill our hearts with faith and your Holy Spirit, Lord, to go do that for your glory. God, I pray that you wouldn't allow us to be held back by the lies of the enemy, the schemes of Satan. But let us move forward like warriors and soldiers to make disciples in this city and to the end of the earth, God. Please help us. Empower us, Lord. And I pray, God, that disciples would be made, souls would be saved, believers would be built up to maturity, and it would spread out throughout the nations, God, for your glory. Please, Lord, do that through us. We're a weak people, Lord. And God, if you use a weak people like us, it just seems like you would get so much glory. Please use us, Lord. God, I pray that you would prepare our church for the suffering, even the ultimate suffering of martyrdom. God, we want to take your gospel to places where they hate it, to places where they persecute and imprison people. God, we want to do that. God, raise up laborers, God, and fill our hearts with preparation of the possibility of men and women dying for your glory. And God, I pray that you would prove this pattern of your word to be true. That when we suffer for you, God, that you send out even more for the glory of your name. God, show that to be true. Lord, I pray that you would remind every one of us here that we are loved by Christ. That every one of your sons and your daughters here, give us that deep felt reminder that we are loved by Christ. And we're loved by you, Lord Jesus. Your word says that you loved us and you gave yourself for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the mercy, Lord, that you would come and take our wrath. We, we know we don't deserve your mercy, God, but you showed your love for us and that while we were sinners, you died for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that the moment that we begin to think otherwise, as if we are not loved by you, that you would rebuke those hard thoughts within us. And you would turn us away from our sin, our unbelief. Lord, make us like Christ. Father, make us like your son. And whatever that means, God, if that means we need to be put through the fire, that we might be silver with burned off dross coming out as a vessel for the smith, God, please do it. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.